four weeks, it leads up to Christmas. It's a way of building anticipation and tension for the idea of actually celebrating the, uh, the arrival of Jesus' birth. That's what Advent means, arrival or visitation. And it's this idea that we know now that, that this is the arrival of Jesus through his birth, but not everyone knew that all the time. Especially when we look at the Old Testament, it wasn't something that was just assumed like we can assume it now. We don't always frame our Christmas here, our season here through Advent, but sometimes we have, and the liturgical calendar is powerful because it has these two elements that I think take it out of the ordinary. It's a global celebration and it's a timeless phenomenon. By global, I mean, well, I, I was watching the, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Does anyone else watch that? part of your tradition. And somebody uh, was, it, it's, I, I don't know the people who were hosting it very well, but one of the hosts asked the lady, um, you know, says, oh, your, your husband, they're talking about traditions on Thanksgiving. Oh, your husband's Australian. What kind of traditions does he have for Thanksgiving in Australia? And she looked at him perplexed. And she's like, they don't have Thanksgiving in Australia. It's a uniquely American holiday. Uh, and so what's funny about it is that Advent, unlike Thanksgiving, is actually a globally celebrated moment. It's connected to the scriptures, and that's partly why it's global, because Orthodox or Catholic or Protestant traditions all have forms of Advent, and that cross ethnic that cross cultural boundaries, that cross any kind of boundary, socioeconomic or governing boundaries that we might create. And so it's this thing that we get to join in today with people all across the globe. But it's also timeless because it's not bound by time. We look at the prophets in the Old Testament, we look at the angels and the shepherds and the kings and everyone involved in this beautiful story that we're talking about and we have history in this story. We have the present in this story, and we have the future, and all of it is wrapped up into this one celebration around one person, the King Jesus Christ. Tish Harrison Warren and Issa Macaulay curated an Advent book this year for the Anglican Church. And on this subject, they say, we Christians believe not just in one coming of Christ, but in three. The coming of Christ in the incarnation, the coming of Christ in what Scripture terms the last days, and the coming of Christ in our present moment through the Holy Spirit's work and through the word and sacrament. Advent celebrates and holds together all three of these comings of Christ. It is a deeply paradoxical season. It is uh, at once past, present, future, altogether ancient yet urgent. And I really love the way they ended that. Ancient yet urgent. It means something to us today in the same way that it had power and potency for the times and past and will still in the future. And so there's this advent of Christ through Jesus' birth, the advent of Christ through the giving of the Holy Spirit and through us representing him, empowering us to be like Christ, the advent of Christ when he comes back to usher in a new heavens and new earth. And advent has this unique, beautiful heritage that brings all of those things together. And so what a powerful moment to have a multi-generational, an idea that we could cross these multi-ethnic bounds. So the advent of Christ when he comes back with our children today, showing this story helping us to understand, as Sabrina mentioned, helping us to ponder the big questions of this story. And so let's enter into this unique thing together, this heritage that is far beyond us in scope and nature. Now, I didn't grow up with a formal Advent tradition. I do remember being a kid and the days leading up to Christmas, and you're just anticipating everything, right? There's this 
almost unbearable level of anticipation. When you see presents under the tree and you know kind of like, you, you have kind of bits and pieces of this, right? Like, like you're, you're taking a package, you know the size of it, you know what's like, you know, if it's heavy or not heavy, you're shaking it and you kind of are trying to get all the clues you can, bring them all together so you can try to figure out what this thing is, but in the end, you don't know until you unwrap that thing. Every bit of it is part of what you can You even listen to your parents, like maybe they'll slip up as they're talking about it. Oh, what, what package came from Amazon? What was that, right? You're trying to figure out all the clues. But in the end, you have to wait until you open it. You have some idea. And then when you open it, sometimes you ever have this feeling, oh, I should have known. I should have known that's what was in there. I should have figured that out. That's what gifts are like. That's what the season of Advent is like. And if I could bring in one other concept on this, I, I made a makeshift felt board. These used to be real popular in church back in the day. I, I couldn't find one. I had to make this one. But it's, it's a little bit like having puzzles, but without the box. Pieces, right? And you kind of like, you're looking at these pieces and you think, well, I can see kind of a horse in there somewhere. I'm not sure where it fits. This has got a, there's like a barn somewhere here. So our, oh, if I thought maybe it was a ranch or something, I'm, I'm not sure over here, but now I'm getting more clues that I'm piecing together. And what Advent does for us is though we don't have the final picture yet, though we don't know what the end looks like, we get all these pieces, little bits and, and tiny um, Easter eggs as they're called now often when you're watching movies, pieces of things, what matches, what doesn't match, textures here that are all helping me to figure out where these pieces all go together. Although we don't have the whole picture, we can still try to figure out how they go together. But if you're a puzzle person, I don't know if we have any puzzle people, do those thousands and thousands and thousands. Yes, you're, you're a puzzle person. Sometimes it can take weeks, days at least, but weeks, hours and hours put together and so maybe we don't always know the gift. Maybe we don't always know the picture on the box. But this is a season where we enter into that and embrace the tension of not knowing. We, we kind of set the knowledge aside and re-enter into this history where we get to anticipate not knowing what that is. And I think this is so much like what the prophets do. The first week of Advent is hope. It goes into the prophets who preach a message of hope. And if you go back to the prophets, you're reading, and they're like these cryptic, weird people that are dropping bits and pieces, clues, little tiny Easter eggs that help us understand what's coming, even if we didn't know what it was. So I want to invite you today, open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 10, you can grab the, the version device uh, or app on one of your devices if you don't have a physical one on you. And we'll also put the words up here on the screen. It says this, this is the very end of chapter 10. The last two verses says this, See the Lord, the Lord Almighty will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled, the tall ones will be brought low. And he will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon, that's a metaphor for Israel, will fall before the mighty one. So, so what you have is this prophetic person, Isaiah, one of the most famous prophets. And he builds this metaphor, language around the power of nations and the power of God involving his people. But he's doing it like in, an, in a lumberjack scenario. I don't know how many lumberjacks we might have out there. 
I'm sizable enough that I get called a lumberjack, especially if I'm wearing plaid on a regular basis. But, but he's knocking down these giant trees. So what's going on is Israel has been judged. They've turned away from God. They have embraced wickedness. They have embraced injustice. Specifically, chapter 10 earlier on says, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. And God's people have embraced these things. So God's people are in a really dark time. They're inside of some very difficult, and, and it's all due to their own disobedience. And as any disobedience takes place, there's a consequence. And you have this massive army coming from the north, the Assyrians. And, and if you read earlier in chapter 10, he, he's doing this thing, the writer Isaiah is doing this thing where he names city by city. He goes first, he says, Bethel. Well, then it goes to Alaph, and then Mizpah, and then Migron, and then Ramah, and Gibeah, and it's getting closer. If you're in Jerusalem, you're like, oh, that's the city. Oh, that's the next city. That's it. It's getting closer. Oh, no. What happens to when they get, and then the city of Nob, N-O-B. And God stops the countdown there. And so if you could imagine this massive army just chopping down pieces of the land, taking it away, getting closer and closer to the center of their culture, taking it apart piece by piece, and the metaphor compares it to this idea of everything's being destroyed until you get to the last great tree, and an axe chops it off, but, but in God's mercy, he decides to step in before the final moment. That even the wickedness has its consequences and God loves his people. So he's going to jump in and say, hold up. Before the entire forest and the last tree are completely destroyed, he steps in. And this is the picture that he gives us. Listen to this. Isaiah 11.1. 1, a shoot, a small branch, just a tiny, tiny, tiny piece of a branch will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. So in the midst of deep despair, and we have a picture for you to see. This is a stump with a tiny, tiny branch, a shoot just coming up, a fragile bit of growth, something that if I had a weed eater, I'd just knock it off and walk away, right? But it's bright and green, and it's, it's got the tiniest little bit of hope in it. The smallest symbol of a new start. The, the sprig of new life out of ruins that was once a mighty tree and a mighty forest. But all we have left now is a stump and this tiny representation of hope. So tiny, so small, so gentle, so infantile, that nobody would expect it could become great again that nobody could expect royalty might be found in this tiny shoot. That, that a fruitful tree that could bear new trees, that could bring up a new forest, thriving, growing, and once again teeming with life. And what I want you to see is this is a clue. Isaiah is telling us something. Pay attention to it. Then verse 2 says this, 
the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Well, do you remember at one point in the Gospels, a young Jesus, I think he's 10 to 12 years old, he goes missing. And his parents are freaking out. Where did Jesus go? And they find him, as he says, in his father's house. And this young man is teaching amidst the rabbis. And somehow they testify, we are awed by the knowledge he has. Well, the Psalms, or the, the Proverbs say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So he has the fear of the Lord in him. He has knowledge beyond his years, but not even that. It seems supernatural. How does he know so much? And they were awed and appalled by the authority with which he was able to speak to them. Well, then it says this, moving on in Isaiah. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but the righteousness he will judge, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor on earth. Well, do you remember that moment when Jesus stood before the Pharisees and a woman caught in adultery? And he says, he who has no sin, throw the first stone. One by one they turn around and walk away and he stands between this woman and the people who are trying to hurt her and then looks at her and says, but also get up and sin no more. He somehow doesn't look necessarily at the outward appearance, but just decisively knows how to come in and protect where protection is needed and correct lovingly where correction is needed. He's got this sense of righteousness that upholds justice and will give decisions for the poor on the earth. And as much as has been revealed over and over through many prophecies of Jesus, there's this future thing that he's still pointing us toward. Because Isaiah says this, He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and, his and the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Now, if you have the faintest knowledge of anything in nature, these things don't match. The cow will feed with the bear. I've seen a few bears, mostly in zoos, a couple of them out in the wild. I'm not trying to be a cow near them. The, their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So there's a day in the future. Experiences that we have not yet understood, wherein a kind of peace will be ushered in. Where the, the, where the old creation in Genesis, in its perfection before it was destroyed, before it was disordered, will one day be reordered and peace will exist. There will be harmony. There will not be violence and people will have an opportunity to rest. In fact, that's exactly where Isaiah ends this prophecy in verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse brings it back, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. All of these little bits and pieces come together. We get clues. We, we're talking one at this point. One prophet, 
one prophecy from a prophet in the midst of this. And I want you to understand as we're looking into the history of what we have and all the prophecies of Jesus, they're very much putting this puzzle together for us. And it's like, man, in its messed up form, it's like, what, I don't, yeah, I get the, there's a tree now and I got a duck over here. I, I'm not sure. I got tomatoes. I don't know what world we have horses and trees and tomatoes all in baskets together. Apples are on there. And this puzzle starts to, to come together one piece at a time. And Isaiah puts this in perspective. Jeremiah says, no, I got some pieces of this puzzle too. And Hosea says, oh, I got one for you. And, and then you have Hosea dropping in some stuff for, for the future birth of who he is. Genesis has some of it. Micah's holding a little piece of it. The Psalms and various parts of the Psalms. First Samuel, all of them are giving us different pieces, not just of the fullness of Christ, just the birth. Just the way this king is entering into the world so that we understand that a divine hand organized this. He created a discovery process for it. And just like the person who loves putting together puzzles, that's part of it. I got this part, I got this piece. I can't wait to see what this thing looks like. In the end, we go through this process and it takes us a long time, usually longer than we ever uh, started off thinking this puzzle was gonna take. And then one time, I remember I was thinking about this and this is what blows me away every time I think about it this season. You eventually come to this place where the puzzle pieces start to make sense. The pieces come together. And it's quite easy to look back and be like, oh yeah, I knew it was a farm. Uh, that whole time. Like what else, what else would have these things and that and the barn and the trees and ducks and horses? And I got, obviously, all you didn't know it was a farm from the beginning? It's easy to do that, right? It's easy to look back, but I think that's part of the appeal because when you see the way Jesus comes and then you retroactively look at the history of these prophecies and you think to yourself, oh, it had to be a baby first. It had to be something we wouldn't expect. It couldn't come as a divine warrior. They had to be from the line of David and Israel, but also include contributions from a prostitute named Rahab. Why? Because there are people outside of the line. There are the unexpecteds that get included inside of this story. Those who would normally be excluded are in, and those who tend to be not of the chosen people, eventually all nations get brought into it. They had to be from both of these worlds. It had to be both a priestly lineage and the prostitute sitting in Jericho. It was always meant to have God's chosen people, and it was always going to be opened to all nations. It had to be established both in a way that would bring justice, because it was correcting injustice. If you doubt that, read the Song of Mary. Wow. Hope had to—wow. Hope had to be born in a time of persecution and captivity and great darkness— it all matches up. It all lines up. It had to be the person who somehow, have you ever wondered this? You're reading it and you're like, what? It says that he's from Jerusalem, but then it says he's from Egypt. But then it says he's from Nazareth. But this one says Judah, and that one says Galilee. 
There's all these prophecies moving around, and somehow when you read the way Jesus is born near Jerusalem, has to flee to Egypt, is born in Bethlehem, which is inside of the region of Judah, and then enacts his ministry back in Nazareth, all while moving over to Galilee. You're like, oh, oh, he's all of these things. Well, why would that be? You can sit back and say, I see it now. Like, I see it. Oh, it all makes sense. King Jesus was hidden in plain sight. Why? Because the whole time it had to be done in a way that nobody could fake it. That nobody could fabricate it. That you would read, well, I mean, if I wanted to pretend to be the Messiah, if I wanted to take all of this energy from this expectation of this new Savior coming, how can I make people believe I'm from all of these places? I can't. Dang it. I'm going to have to figure out a way to work around that one. Not Jesus. I'm going to figure out how to work all these things together. And I think God wanted it this way. It had to be accomplished in a way that couldn't be fabricated by human hands. It couldn't be pieced together by the Romans or the Greeks or men like Herod who were afraid of Jesus. Rightly so, enacting violence was the wrong way to go about it. It couldn't be faked. We had to have clues so that in the end, the revealed power and brilliance and authorship of God would be revealed through it. So as we begin Advent this season, and we look at the pieces that all of these prophets put together for us, the Easter eggs, be on the lookout. Don't just pass over them. Don't skip that genealogy. I'm telling you, there's at least 10 to 15, 20, maybe more than we can count Easter eggs in that one. Ponder them, pay attention to them because they're important not just to the narrative, they're important to us because maybe you two are walking through a dark season in your life. Maybe you're seeing some type of tragedy or hopelessness or captivity or some, by something or someone in your life today. And what the season of Advent does is it bolsters our faith to keep going because it stabs darkness with a dagger of light because it gives you just little glimpses of it. it, bursts a spring of new green life in a forest of leveled trees. And so if your life looks like leveled trees, look for that sprig of life. It says these captors, oh, they'll have their time, but there is a time of liberation coming and they don't stand a chance against the mighty hand and power of God. So God says, I've done it before. I'll do it again. Uh, this isn't, I'm not afraid of this. I've seen darkness. I've seen armies of Assyria. I've seen things that you wouldn't imagine. I'm more powerful than things. I can do it again. You may not be able to see it now, but I assure you, the rescue is hiding in plain sight. You just don't know it yet. And it's coming. The clues are there. The stage is set. The plan is in motion. And when the time is right, you're going to step back and realize how all these puzzle pieces fit together. I know what I'm doing, I've done it before, and I will do it again. Would you pray with me? And so Father, we come this Advent season celebrating with our kids, celebrating with our students, celebrating the story that tells these four moments with you. That we get to enter into the history of it with the prophets who spoke hope into a tragic season so that the ultimate rescue would be introduced in a powerful, not just powerful, but poetic and beautiful way. So let's, get, let's be hungry for the puzzle pieces. 
Let's be hungry to get all the clues we can, every bit of information we can. We can't get to the end of it. So Lord, reveal it to us through the prophets in the Old Testament so that when we finally see Jesus, it's so clear to us, this is the Messiah. Father, we celebrate you by lifting our voices, by moving towards communion together by sharing the love that we have for one another here in this room, by giving gifts to one another for those who can, and giving the gift of presence all around. And will we keep our eyes focused on you, Jesus? Let that be the center of what revolves around this season. And so each Sunday before we get to Christmas Eve, Lord, prepare our hearts. Let us anticipate and build in anticipation the coming King who is hidden in plain sight. We ask for this right now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.